Welcome to Daddy Issues, the podcast where we talk about father and son relationships in groovy culture, baby. With me today, as always, is the grooviest, swingiest electric pussycat in the world. It's it's David Bryan. How how are you doing, Dave? Are you are you groovy, baby? Right on, brother. I'm mega I- groovy. I'm switched on. I'm shagadelic, man. I have to admit, I feel a little bit, uh, a little bit bad introing the 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 uh, the podcast like this. So I've got, I've got to throw this out there, heads up. I feel like I'm kind of, uh, if I don't, I'm stepping on toes here, because uh, you you know that uh, two of my my biggest influences uh, in recent years have been um, Alexi and Cam from the Finding Drago uh, podcast that uh, I I sent you a while ago. Um, oh, yeah, and yeah. Finding Drago was was a huge inspiration uh, for me, um, and as was Finding Desperado, the sequel. But I first discovered Alexi and Cam on their podcast, Mike Check. Did I ever send you Mike Check? I'm no, sure. I don't know that. Well, Mike Check was a fucking work of genius, uh, and still is because it's available. They didn't they didn't delete it all. Um, but the podcast is going through the film history of one. Michael Myers from start to finish to find out if he's still horny baby and each episode is the two of them going through another Michael Myers film but another Mike Myers not another Michael Myers film because there's lots of Halloweens you could go through if you were doing a Michael Myers thing I think they've done that they've done that on one of the series of their other podcast Total Reboot which is always worth checking out as well um, but yes, Mike Check was was great, and it was horny, and and it was brilliant. And the the episode of Austin Powers is one hundred percent worth listening to. So, before we talk about Austin Powers, I've got to pay homage to the kings of Mike Myers before uh, before I go in there. That Dave's doing is a little uh, respect, you know. Uh, oh I'm yeah. Gonna, yeah, I'm I did gonna, it. I'm I did it though, like to the heavens, as if they're dead, but they're not. I've got... They're just in Australia, so that maybe it's like upside down. No, I was going to. I was going to pour one out for the homies. While, uh, <laughs> out for the homies. Yeah, well, while, while I'm here as well, because that, they're down me, under. And one for my homies. Exactly. That's going. Uh, that's going down to them, uh, in in Sydney. Um, Austin Powers. There's a, we're only doing the first one today because throughout the Austin Powers series, there's a, a, a couple of father son relationships that kind of appear, but yeah. we're we're here to establish and talk about the first one, um, the first daddy issue, like the most us daddy issue, which is uh, Doctor and Scott Evil. Um, yeah, I can, I can. People can't see, but I can see how much you're smiling about this. I'm because... smiling. I, I can give you a, a sort of a, a behind the scenes reason why I'm smiling. So I mean, okay. I, I record these in my spare room which is often where like stuff gets dumped and I'm sat on the spare bed and there's always laundry hanging up. And on the clothes area right now in front of me is my Buffy the Vampire Slayer t-shirt circa season two. 
and there looking at me upside down is Seth Green as Oz in Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Um, Buffy being one of my favourite things ever to be made and Oz is always one of my favourite characters and Seth Green himself is kind of just everything, he, not everything he's done, I don't know everything he's done but so much of what he's done I go, I fucking love Seth Green. He's just great. Yes, I am very fortunate as well because you have changed your Skype background to uh, Doctor and Scott Evil from the the from the therapy scene, which um, as I, as I mentioned before the pod, I think is one of the the greatest uh, scenes in movie history. But we but we can't jump straight into that. We've got to build up to it before we get there. Um, so your relationship with Austin Powers, um, obviously, what, when did it come out? Ninety seven, I think. Ninety seven. You would have been what about twenty five? I guess when it came out <laughs> in ninety seven. You're a nasty person. <laughs> that is true. I am. I'm a real batard. <laughs> batard. A bar steward. Yes, exactly. Fortunately, no. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not in, um, insecure about my age. I'm. I'm. I'm, uh, I'm happy to age. Only because here's my plan. Right. My All plan right. is to. Will Die? myself? Oh. No, no. The, quite the not the, quite the opposite, but at least um, I'm pushing that back. So my plan is to emulate through sheer force of will the life cycle of the Wolverine. So I plan to age until I look until I'm about forty, and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm basing this off um, the, uh, sort of comics, kind of, but more like more Hugh Jackman. So mm-hmm. I want to look like a forty-year-old Hugh Jackman. And then to stop physically aging and then just live for about 300 years, maybe, give or take, <laughs> just to give me enough time to do all the things I want to do and, you know, experience the life to its fullest. Maybe fight in a few wars, maybe go through some invasive experimentation, but ultimately go through the full gamut of love and loss and violence and peace at some point and, you know, spend a few decades reading a lot of books and listening to all the albums I want to listen to. And then after a few centuries of looking like a peak hairy chested Hugh Jackman, I'll, I'll just, I'll, I'll just decide that it's over somehow. I don't know. Maybe I'll carry an adamantium bullet with me wherever I go. Although I'm not made of adamantium. So that part is irrelevant. I don't know how I might have to like lie my neck down on a railroad track or something. So back to Austin Powers. <laughs> oh shit! Sorry. Yeah. I get carried back, away with my, my after Wolverine. After you've just fantasy. had your head run over on a railway track, let's get back to talking about about the light-hearted 1997 spy comedy Austin Powers International Man of Mystery, starring, of course, the Canadian comedy legend Mr. Mike Myers. Oh, Mr. Mike Myers. Oh, Mr. Mike as Myers. As our um, super shagadelic protagonist, Austin Powers, and his evil counterpart, um, Dr. Evil. So, to get back to my earlier question, when you were <laughs> about 53 years old in 1997, what was, what, what was your memory of, of Austin Powers? How did you first kind of come across it? Um, did you watch it at the time or was it like five years later that you were like, what is this? <laughs> well, I was, factually, I was 10 years old when this film came out. Mm, okay. 
Um, and I don't remember this, the cinema release particularly, but I think I became aware of it when it got a home release because there would have been kids at my school whose parents were a bit more lax in their in their rules around what films their kids could watch. And there were kids coming to school saying they'd seen this brilliant film and how funny it was and, and whatever. So, yeah, baby. And these kind of mm. catchphrases were being thrown around in, during my school life in the mid uh, sorry in the late 90s but i was not i would have been kept at an arm's length from anything like that um so i think i didn't really i went i think i went to see gold member at the cinema when it came out but that's only after i'd seen the first two on video or someone's dvd probably quite close to uh to, <laughs> to when that third one came out but no uh, yeah other than that i was um an alien to it when it first arrived how about you? Yes, I would. I would have been six, I guess, when the first one came out. So, Gold Member was the first one that I, I also saw in the the cinema. And this movie is um a good one to bring up in terms of daddy issues because me and my dad have, um, a pretty long relationship with Austin Powers and watching Austin Powers. And me and my dad went to see Gold Member in the cinema together, um, when when it came out, and uh, I have a good memory of the two of us finding it. Very funny in Goldmember when uh, Dr. Evil has a submarine in the shape of himself and bubbles <laughs> come out of his butthole. And <laughs> we in the cinema thought that that was rather hilarious. Um, Undoubtedly, so, it's hilarious. Yes. So, Goldmember, a, a movie we're going to have to, uh, we're gonna have to get onto because that guy loves gold. And, I've heard uh, that. Yeah, I've heard that yeah. about him. So, but wasn't there wasn't there an unfalting schmelting accident that is formative in in his origins as a super there villain? was but today we're not here to talk about okay the unfortunate schmelting accident that the melted that's God all conjecture remember. at this point yeah yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> um uh, where to begin with austin powers because it's it's it's, it's interesting that you so have that relationship with it, with your dad, because yeah, like I say, my parents kept me at arm's length, but then I watched it with my girlfriend last night, and then um, uh, her dad called in the middle of the movie, so he paused the film, and he just had to ask. He was struggling to download Zoom, and he needed technical support. So, um, will be there. And uh, yeah, but then uh, my girlfriend was very excited to say we're watching austin powers international man of mystery and because that was something they shared a lot when they mm. were kids it's a film that he found hilarious and would play all the time and uh, my girlfriend and her sister didn't really get it for a while but his, uh, their dad would always put it on and it wasn't until they got to their sort of teens where they sort of started to appreciate it i think it's one of those movies that in a lot of the ways you could you could compare to the simpsons where you know with The Simpsons where it's got comedy for all ages hidden of different layers within it. This is the good Simpsons I'm talking about. None of this, you know. Uh, the Simpsons are like your favourite band. You know, like, they did the first album and it was a little bit rough. But then, like, the next couple of albums after that, you're like, ah, that's the good shit. And then they got old. And getting old really, you know. Yeah, I do yeah. find that with, because a lot of the bands from like the that I loved from the 90s and early 2000s were really angsty and sad mm. or and angry and their music of when they were in their 20s was very much of that ilk and it was powerful and I, I really liked it and then they all got old into their 40s and 50s and had families and got happy but yet carried on making music and it's just not as fun 
or no, rather it's something... too fun and now I don't like it so much anymore. <laughs> there was something I saw about Dave Grohl the other day that said uh, the new Foo Fighters album had just come out and the review said something like, Dave Grohl continues to walk the line of clean, family-friendly music that I hate whilst being a man that is impossible to dislike. And I think it was something like that. It was like, I can't hate Dave Grohl because he's so lovely, but he can't make good music anymore because he's so lovely. And I thought, fuck you, I love Dave Grohl. But then the more I think <laughs> about it, the more I'm like, oh, when was the last time I bought a Foo Fighters album? And it was a while yeah. ago. But, yeah, I think for me it was probably uh, In Your Honour, like 2003. See, that was a good one. That had angst. That was an angsty album. It had sadness too, because it was a double album, yeah. wasn't it? And the second yeah, it was, disc was, yeah. was all acoustic, sad stuff. And there was yeah. a song about Kurt Cobain on there. Yeah, well, yeah. even Best of You. Best of You is a fucking, it's a heartbreaking rock. Why are we talking about this? Right, uh, Aust- sorry, Austin sorry. Powers. Austin Powers. Yeah, it's got that same kind of humour as The Simpsons, whereby it's, if you are an adult, then you can enjoy the joke about the ritualistically shaved scrotum. And uh, if, you, if you're if you a smaller child, you can enjoy the fact that bubbles come out of the submarine's butthole. And <laughs> there's kind of, um, there's the, all of the humour is childish, but it's a different levels of perception. And I think, for me, one of the cleverest jokes in the movie, possibly the the, the best written joke in the movie, is um, just after Austin Powers has had sex with a lot of vagina. (laughs) And um, uh, uh, what's her name? Kensington. Vanessa. Vanessa Kensington, yeah. Vanessa, yeah. Vanessa says, did you at least use protection? And uh, he's like, of course, I had my, my Walter 9mm. She said, no, a condom. He goes, baby, only sailors use condoms. And she says, not in the 90s, Austin. And he says, well, they better do those dirty buggers. They go from port to port. And that, that is the <laughs> best written joke in, like... That's such tra- like a classic traditional comedy like set up yes. line joke yes really like and falling that, into yeah. that whole thing about uh, this being a homage like british comedy from from the 60s peter sellers and stuff it's that's exactly mm-hmm. the kind of joke but yeah I, I it really makes me laugh still oh, my god that is it's just such a brilliant a br- but if you're not of a certain age you're not gonna find it funny right but when he no. farts in the hot tub mwah, comedy gold <laughs> And he does the, pardon me for being rude, it was not me, it was my food. It just popped up to say hello, and now it's gone back down below. Which is something that me and my brother used to do at the dinner table when we were kids. And so when I, whenever, however old I was when I finally saw this, I was like, ah, that's the thing, I can relate to this. (laughs) There's one thing we have to avoid, and that's just not repeating all of the jokes from Austin Powers. We could just do a line around this, couldn't we? I this is one of those movies that I could probably sit down and do from start to finish, you know, like uh, oh, and the second one even more so I think maybe I watched the second one more than this one, but I'm, I think I maybe borrowed the second one on DVD and then just kept it, you know, those kind of <laughs> things that it used to be as a kid. Oh no, I borrowed your X Men comic and never gave it back. It was one of those, yeah. um, one of those too of good things. to return. Yeah, yeah. So Scott and uh, and and Doctor Evil. Um, what do you think of their relationship, first of all? 
So explain explain the, the story of, of Scott and Dr. Evil to us as the audience. Um, okay. So Dr. Evil, evil super genius, froze himself in the 1960s um, to escape his, uh, his arch nemesis, Austin Powers, and gets thawed out again in the 90s. Um, but while he's been gone, his, uh, his henchman, um, as part of a program, I think, that was planned, had, that they had stored part of his spermatozoa, I believe, and, and <laughs> yeah. uh, created him a son while he's been absent. So I think um, Frau Farbissena, Dr. Evil's right-hand woman, says that they only managed to wait a couple of years before they got a bit impatient and decided to go for it. So you have to assume Scott is about in his late 20s at this point. I don't know. From from the music that he's listening to and stuff, I reckon he's he's late teens, early 20s. Yeah, and it's Seth Green, like late 90s Seth yeah. Green, so he looks about 20 at the most. Yeah. So maybe you can take the uh, the pinch of salt the the couple of years that Frau Farbissner mm. says they waited, but in either case he's very adolescent in his behaviour, um, and upon Doctor Evil re-entering the world and launching a new plan for world domination, he's also learned that he has a son that he's got to meet for the first time, and and vice versa. Scott has been raised within an evil organisation. <laughs> <laughs> and he's just meeting his dad for the first time and his dad wants to have a relationship with him and Scott's like, I think he even says like, you've been gone my entire life and you come back all of a sudden and you want a relationship? I hate you <laughs> and, it, and it is a very much a bit of like a Kevin and Perry angry mm. teenager just, or just pissed off but then I think fairly rightly and it's, it's funny that this is in like a, a spoofy spy comedy when I think their relationship is actually quite poignant and there will be people who watch this who go yeah i didn't meet my dad until i was in mm -hmm. like i was already an adult and then we had to try and forge a relationship and it was difficult and it's yeah i know the the group therapy session that you talked about is is a hilarious scene but i kind of was a bit touched that they're willing to do this you know like dr evil's like gone to this session with his son in order <laughs> for them to to you know to to bond again um, under the auspices of Scott one day taking over the family business, as he says. But, you know, they're, they're there and they're trying and that's kind of sweet. Yes, there is there is part of it where both of them do actually want to make this work to some extent. Like when that first scene with Dr. Evil where he sees his son, it's not like, oh, he's such a disappointment. Right, it's not like um, you know. I thought that you'd look like Arnold Schwarzenegger, not like this weedy motherfucker. Right, it's like he sees his son and it's like, come and give your old man a hug. Right, and he yeah. instantly wants to take part in. Like he instantly wants to be a dad and like show him how to be the evil, uh, to be an evil genius. He wants to take him under his wing. Right, but then that teenage rebellion like no i don't even want to know you i hate you i'm listening to nirvana and you know and, and whatever it's that um yeah that that typical father-son barrier that's there like let me in son no i wouldn't even but but caught within the auspices of this absolutely insane ridiculous uh situation but when <laughs> yeah. we do get when we do get to the group therapy you do have that bit where you know, Scott does want to open himself up 
to the relationship and it's like but every time he opens himself up it's like you know i think maybe i want to be a vet or work in a petting zoo an evil vet an evil yeah. petting zoo like that and every time he opens himself up dr evil tries to insert himself uh into his son's personality and uh, yeah and kind of and, and control it but all of this is hidden within this absolutely ridiculous premise that's really really quite brilliant yeah, there's something great about it, I think, in, in trying to examine the development of a young man who grows up without a father figure at all. And obviously they're not going to go into a great amount of backstory of Scott's upbringing unless they do the Austin Powers 4, which has been rumoured for years, which mm-hmm. I hope would be uh, Scott becoming the ultimate villain of the piece, which would be hilarious, especially if he carries on. Oh, he can't jump ahead too far ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> Um, yeah, uh, how a young man develops without a father figure because I presume he was raised by Frau kind of as a single mum. I know number two's been around this entire time, but he doesn't seem to have any kind of relationship with Scott. So comparing how Scott has um, turned into a man versus Dr. Evil, his father, when we get to see a bit of a... Well, Dr. Sto- Evil gives the backstory of his life, which he thinks is perfectly normal, <laughs> when in fact it's batshit crazy. <laughs> and that's how he turned out. Yes. I think now is a very good time to bring up the, the therapy session. Um, we're already, in, in we're all, already in, there. In, yeah, in, in all its glory. Um, I don't feel like we can do it justice, though. So I reckon that we should play the entire group therapy session in this video right now. Deal. Okay, give in to the beauty of your feelings and say the words. Come on. I love you, Dad. I love you too, son. Okay, group, we have some newcomers here today with us. Say hello to Scott and his father, Mr. Avil? Evil, actually. Dr. Evil. Hello, Dr. Evil. Hello, hello Scott. Scott. Hello, everybody. So, Scott, why don't we start with you? What brings you here with us today? Well, I just really met my dad for the first time five days ago. I was partially frozen his whole life. That is beautiful that you can admit to that. He comes back and and now he wants me to take over the family business. But Scott, who's going to take over the world when I die? Listen to the words he used. Who's going to take over the world when I die? Feels like that to some of us sometimes, doesn't it? (laughs) So, what do you want to do, Scott? I don't know. I was thinking I like animals. Maybe I'd be a vet. An evil vet? No. Maybe like work in a petting zoo. An evil petting zoo? You always do that! I just think like he hates me. I really think he wants to kill me. Now, Scott, we don't want to kill each other in here. We might say that we do sometimes, but we... We really don't. <laughs> Actually, the boy's quite astute. I really am trying to kill him, but so far, unsuccessfully. He's quite wily, like his old man. This is what I'm talking about. Okay, well, we've heard from you, Scott. Now, uh, you, tell us a little about yourself. 
The details of my life are quite inconsequential. Oh, no, please, please. Let, let's hear about your childhood. Yeah. Okay. Come on, come on. Come on, come on, please. Very well. Where do I begin? My father was a relentlessly self-improving boulangerie owner from Belgium with low-grade narcolepsy and a penchant for buggery. My mother was a 15-year-old French prostitute named Chloe with webbed feet. My father would womanize, he would drink, he would make outrageous claims like he invented the question mark. Sometimes he would accuse chestnuts of being lazy, the sort of general malaise that only the genius possess and the insane lament. My childhood was typical. Summers in Rangoon, luge lessons. In the spring, we'd make meat helmets. When I was insolent, I was placed in a burlap bag and beaten with reeds. Pretty standard, really. At the age of 12, I received my first scribe. At the age of 14, as a roastery named Vilma, ritualistically shaved my testicles. There really is nothing like a shorn scrotum. It's breathtaking. I suggest you try it. You know, we have to stop. Oh, oh amazing. Carrie Fisher. Carrie Fisher absolutely sells that scene with her performance is what makes that work in that scene because you've got a, it's undoubtedly perfect delivery from from Mike Myers and Seth Green there doing their their respective things but if you have a different actor playing the the lead of that group therapy session who can't hit as genuinely uh, sincere as Carrie Fisher's performance there where she is pitch fucking perfect sincerity with um like um Listen to his words there. Who's going to take after the world when I die? It can feel like that to some of us sometimes. It's, she's just spot on. Absolutely. And then she, it, it's her uh, like calm ocean of a performance that allows Mike Myers to stand up and start talking about his, his uh, Sean Scroton. And, <laughs> it's, and, and it works like... Just ah, perfectly, absolutely perfectly, in what I think is one of the best written scenes for for Carrie Fisher's performance as well. Just that one of the perfect scenes from start to finish in in, in movies where it's just there's not a, a missed line in terms of characterization, in terms of humor. Like everything about that scene pushes them and their characters forward for like absolutely no reason as well which is yeah, like there's no build up to them going let's go to therapy it's just they're just there yeah that for some reason the supervillain and his grunge son are in a group therapy session for like absolutely no purpose at all but it's perfect <laughs> perfect yeah. yeah you absolutely yeah you absolutely nailed it it's the the, the sincerity and believability of the therapy character mm-hmm. is a perfect offset to the downright absurd um, story that's coming back the other way and meanwhile she's got to try and maintain mm-hmm. uh, you know the it's got to maintain this this level playing field and keep everyone and it's, I think there's something about the fact that all the other ca- actors in that scene and for the whole movie actually so many of the extras are not good at <laughs> being extras they look really stiff and like regular people they don't look like 
the characters they're meant to play. And I think that makes the performances of Mike Myers and these are larger than life people even more funny. And I don't know if that's, it could be one of those magical things that because it was the first movie and they didn't necessarily have all the budget they would have wanted, they had to hire cheap people or like get friends in to sit in the scene. And it, yeah, it makes it all the funnier. I don't know why, but there is just this great offset between absurd characters, sincere characters. Like Scott is kind of a sincere character himself. Mm-hmm. He's a bit, only a bit absurd in places, but then he's actually quite logical. He makes a lot of sense in all the scenes that he's in. And then, yeah, Carrie Fisher's character is very sturdy, the safe ship and everything. Yeah, oh, it's just such a brilliant scene. And yeah. we were doing, <laughs> we were just quoting it line for line as we were listening to it then, because it's just so quotable and so memorable. Yeah. Again, that thing of there's, there's, not, a, there's not a beat missed in that scene. Uh, it's one of those scenes where I think, oh, if I was going to do my GCSE drama performance again, which is like our high school drama performance when we're like 16. And because you get to choose something that you would want to perform. The two things from movies that I wish I could do would be this scene because it's just perfect. If, if I was going to play a character, I don't know which one I would want to play in this scene. Obviously, the, the dream is to be Dr. Evil, so you get to have the monologue um, at the end, which is just <sighs> superb. In, in every way it's that, that thing now where in trying to describe it I just want to endlessly quote it because like like you're saying just that, that end of monologue is just uh, it's just perfect again but it would it, it would I'd want to do that one and I'd want to do the end sequence from Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure the, the high school history uh, performance Right, like oh. if I was gonna do my if I was gonna do my GCSE drama again, that would be one of the ones I want to do. Where you get um, you get everyone to dress up, like you get one person to dress up as Abraham Lincoln, and then we go through and do the whole that whole scene for your high school performance. Would be like, yeah. Would you perfect. would you direct that scene, or would you would you have to be in it? Let's say oh, if well, it was for your GCSE, do you have to appear in it too? Oh, if I was if I was uh, yeah sixteen, I would have wanted to have been in that scene for sure. So, who would you have cast yourself as? Well, assuming that I chose to have done it, I would have either been Bill or Ted. I assume. Okay. Be- because I would have I- it would have been me probably and my friend Alex who we would have respectively done Bill and Ted together. Yeah, I can see you. You're you're Bill then in that scenario. Yeah, yeah, and, uh, yeah, and Alex, I know yeah, Alex, Alex a bit. Yeah, Alex would have been Ted at that point. Um, also, um, yeah, so 16-year-old you would have been a good Bill. You now would have been a great Sigmund Freud. And I was going <laughs> to say, if you, if I was going to cast you in the therapy scene in Austin Powers, I would give you the Carrie Fisher role. Oh, I think that's you, very nice you, you. You'd do that well. You'd hold that whole scene together. Thank I think you'd you. probably do any of the roles if well if you, they were given to you. But mm. um, yeah, I think the, the straight sincerity, you, I think you could pull off really well. Yeah, I think the... Um... Again, the, to go on to Bill and Ted, which we're going to do a whole episode on at some point. The, the one of the absolute highlights of, of of Bill and Ted is the Sigmund Freud in the police station, and the police officer, <laughs> yeah. the police, the police officer is. Uh, why do you keep insisting that you're Sigmund Freud? Why do you keep insisting that I'm not Sigmund Freud? <laughs> oh, yeah. this is ri- this is ridiculous. Tell me about your mother. <laughs> just, yeah. Just, oh, it's just, just pitch perfect. Just again. Um, 
Amazing. Yeah. And again, that that Sigmund Freud bit at the end of uh, the the end scene, where Sigmund Freud uh, points to Bill and says, "Bill, would you like to sit on the uh, on the chair next?" And Bill goes, "No, thank you. Just have a minor edible complex." Just again, just yeah. uh, again, one of those uh, jokes. Those jokes only for only for us. Those, yeah, only for yeah. the grown ups. That one. Yeah, yeah, I don't think I got that joke until like the tenth time I'd watched that film because yeah. that is one of the staple movies of my childhood. I've seen it so many times, and again, yeah. I just like The Simpsons and probably Lost in Powers. I loved it for what I could take from it as a more immature person, but then as a as I matured, yeah. it just kept giving. The jokes just um, are hidden there from you until you're old enough to appreciate them, and then it's like you're watching it for the first time. Yeah, that that is a good similarity between Bill and Ted and Austin Powers as well. Is that both of them have what I've kind of come to think of as intelligent dumb comedy, where you watch it and you think, "Oh, that's so stupid," but it's so cleverly put together that the dumb joke hinges on the fact that the writers and the directors and the actors are intelligent enough to pull it off. And like the perfect, like a good example of that is, um, it, again from Bill and Ted, is uh, Napoleon going to a water park named Waterloo. And from yeah, the very yeah. beginning, they have set up that there is this theme park, this, this water park in San Dimas, called Waterloo, then we introduce the character of Napoleon, then Napoleon ends up going to Waterloo to fight the, to fight the battle, and then he ends up developing his strategy for invading Russia based on the water slides. Um, and it's like all of this is just like a dumb joke about Napoleon going down water slides, but is built upon, built upon, built upon to when you can execute this stupid joke, and it's brilliant. And Austin Powers is fucking full of those. Um, it's it's every joke as we're saying in every story beat in a movie is based upon setup and execution, right? You have to you have to set your joke up and you have to execute. And like a dumb example, kind of in this movie, but another one that gets played is the Swedish made penis enlarger, <laughs> yeah. right? Which is just that that joke at the beginning with the. Um, Oh, that's not mine. One receipt for Swedish-made penis enlarger signed yeah. out to to Austin Powers. No, seriously, that's not my bag, baby. One book, Swedish-made penis enlarger pumps and me by Austin Powers. This kind of thing There's is my bag, baby. This baby, <laughs> yeah. And but then later on, it comes back as in his suitcase again in Las Vegas. Oh, how did this get here? And then using yeah. it again to defeat the to defeat random, random task. task. Yeah, yeah. At, at the end, it's kind of a dumb, stupid. It's a, it's a Swedish-made penis enlarging pump, right? It's a, a yeah. fucking dumb joke. But the way it keeps coming back and back and back in new and just to keep reminding you, right? It takes it takes craft and it takes intelligence to keep putting it there. So when Random Task is there at the end and he uses the Swedish... It gives you that satisfaction. The satisfaction yeah. that can only come with a Swedish-made penis. Or <laughs> but it, it gives you that satisfaction that wouldn't be there if it had just... If it only appeared at the beginning and again at the end, you'd be like, "Oh yeah, that was the the you dick need joke." The rule of three really. kind of thing to come mm-hmm. in to be reminded, yeah. Yeah, and it it's so cleverly crafted this movie that it's like the judo chop thing as well, right? <laughs> Austin Powers Austin Powers shouts judo chop like ten times, 
and then at the end when Vanessa shouts judo chop, it's funny because he's been shouting it and you're like, what the fuck is he talking about? So when she yeah. does it, it's like, I see, you're delivering on this, yeah, on this on this joke throughout. Yeah, same with like the um the, the dentistry products. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Right, let me guess, the floss is garrote wire and the, the toothpaste is plastic explosives and the toothbrush is a detonation device. So no no it's 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 actually for your teeth and then it comes up later when they're trying to escape from that overly elaborate trap yes um, it's like no i get it i have bad teeth and then they actually do use it in spy like uh kind yeah. of action tropey ways yeah, yes it's great and i like about with the swedish made penis and larger pump there's a there's a couple of scenes that i commented on at the time when i was watching it that one and um when mustafa gets tipped into the pit um, yeah, and Will Ferrell is is screaming. I'm not dead, but I'm very badly, badly burnt. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, there's something that I don't really think comedy movies really do anymore, which this film loves to do, and I think in the sequels they do it as well, where they just let a joke play out for what feels like forever. Mm. Like that Swedish made penis and larger thing goes on for about a minute, probably of yeah. screen time, which would just not be given to a joke in a modern comedy. And the same thing with the Mustafa thing like he's that just keeps going on and on they keep building on the building on the joke and then when yeah. it finally ends and they move on there's like that pause of is this over like Dr. Evil actually pauses once that the guy comes in and shoots him so like, oh you've shot me and he goes to move on with the, the scene and he goes you, you shot, shot me right, me in, right the in the arm <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it, yeah so just when you think it's over it keeps going and yeah oh yeah that that is it feels classical now, which is silly because yeah. it's like 20 years ago. Yeah, the, the joke that perfectly sets up the entire movie is just after he's been thawed out from the cryogen, and it's the peeing, the <laughs> peeing in the toilet. Oh, right? I love so, that. Oh. that and you're, you're right, because what you're, the peeing joke is exactly the same as yes. the Mustafa in the bottom of the pit joke. It's the same joke, right? But... The craft of it is so... Per- you, all you do is replace Will Ferrell for piss, which, depending <laughs> upon if you're watching Anchorman 1 or 2, you know, it, it might go either way anyway. But That's good. That was right? a, an unnecessary Will Ferrell dig, but I'm going to take <laughs> it. Um, but it's, it's the same joke, but just perfectly executed both times. Yeah, it right? just, evacuation just makes com- smile so much. Evacuation... If, com... Com... Evacuation com- complete. Yeah, yeah. 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 So the bit that re- the bit that makes me laugh the most in that sequence, and the, I think the whole thing is the whole sequence is funny. But yeah. The bit that makes me laugh is when he's going for a while, and then he has to lean forward and put his hand on the wall. <laughs> he puts his hand on the wall. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't what, know why, but that slays me. It's so funny. What I was thinking watching this, and why it, why this is undoubtedly one of Mike Myers best because it doesn't matter who you are this is going to be one of your best your best movies and also he wrote the movie and he's starring in the movie you know it's like as uh to to quote uh alexi and cam on on mike check this is one of his auteur movies you know like he is the auteur behind austin powers here but watching austin powers this time i was really captured by the jim carrey element that i can see within austin powers that's not especially in the opening the opening scene dancing through london right and his character kind of as you were saying with the peter seller stuff the classical comedy obviously that's calling back to the beatles as well and that that kind of thing but his performance is so physical and the the whole movie is calling back to physical comedy to british physical comedy in in its own way but 
there's a physical comedy to it that you don't get in Wayne's World because Wayne's World is, you know, Wayne is, although he's kind of outlandish and over the top for sure, um, Wayne's World is grounded to a certain extent that Austin Powers isn't. And because the whole movie is over the top, Mike Myers gets to embody that that same kind of physical comedy that Jim Carrey does in fucking everything that became the staple of Jim Carrey's performance where he would always have that kind of physicality like leaning in to take the piss, right? That's the, phys- the physical next step of the joke. The joke is he's taking a piss. The, the joke evolves when he leans in to really go for it. Then it evolves again when he's tapping his foot on the floor to try and get the last bits out. Right? And it's those... Those, the way that his physicality ups the, the joke. It takes the next step, the next step, the next step. And that's that craft of the joke again, right? The joke could have just been, he keeps peeing and then he stops, and then he pees, and then he pees. And that would have been fine. But what elevates it is his, that next leap that he takes yeah. into it. Um, and why he is just so phenomenal in this. Yeah, um, uh, yeah, I like that you brought up the brought up Jim Carrey because there is there's some there's a certain bit of like Ace Ventura about mm-hmm. his performance. I just I keep thinking about the way he walk Ace Ventura walks with the nod, and the, compared to the way Austin Powers walks with kind of like a swagger and a and a yeah. a bop in his step, and he's pointing, hey, how's it going? Hey, there you are. Hey, I do I know you? Number, but there you are. <laughs> there you are. I love yeah. that. That is brilliant. That That's line. great. But then yeah. I don't know if you read this, but another interesting Jim Carrey tidbit is that. Mike Myers wanted Jim Carrey to play Dr. Evil. That was his first choice. He wasn't planning on playing really? both characters. But there was scheduling conflict with Liar Liar. So Jim Carrey couldn't do it. And Mike Myers, I presume, thought, well, if I can't get Jim, then I'm just going to do it myself. Because right, it's the only other person right. he would have trusted to do it. Yeah, I can, I can see that. Undoubtedly, again, I'm, I'm going to feel bad because I, I imagine Alexi and Cam would not have missed talking about this on... Uh, on uh, my that's like exactly their kind of thing but it is interesting that you would do it that way because austin powers is the jim carrey-esque character within this and you couldn't replace mike myers as, as austin powers for sure but if i'm casting this with jim carrey i don't put jim carrey as dr evil because dr evil is the stilted uh not robotic but obviously he's he's not fluid right whereas austin powers is the his body is uh moves in those more traditional jim carrey-esque ways i would say so it's interesting to take the mask and put him in a role where he can't go over the top he has to contain Mm. himself and then yeah i suppose we'll never know how different dr evil would have ended up being but they might have really let him go do whatever yeah. he wanted, yeah. but but you again like uh, you couldn't you couldn't replace Mike Myers as either of these. When you no. get to like Fat Bastard and Goldmember, it's like uh, if you wanted to bring somebody else in, it would especially Goldmember. Like it could have been it, Jim Carrey would have been perfect for Goldmember, the character <laughs> yeah. of Goldmember. Like that would have just been perfect casting. Um, but yeah, just just Mike Myers is uh, he is Austin yeah. Powers, and he is Doctor Evil. Yeah, of course. And then by the time he gets to the second and third films, the in-joke and almost the the tradition of it is that he plays multiple characters. He Eddie Murphy's it. So then when he do add another character... and But then again, with like Fat Bastard, 
and Austin Powers. He's harking back to his own kind of upbringing. Yeah. Because uh, Mike Myers, is, his parents were from England when he has Scottish ancestry. So, you know, he has a lot of Scottish things and he, he loves it, obviously, with Shrek. And have you ever seen uh, So I Married an Axe Murderer? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so he's really playing off of his, his heritage. And yeah, a lot of Austin Powers is based off the English comedies that his dad used to watch and what he grew up watching. And um, yeah, I, just harking back to what you said about um, Austin Powers being quite reminiscent of that of the Peter Sellers or kind of classic English styles of slapstick comedy. He even sounds like um, Frank Spencer from Some Mothers Do Have Them. Honestly, mm-hmm. du- baby, it's not mine. Oh, Betty, it's not mine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it's he's he's kind of hamming it up in in the same way. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think our final thing to to bring up was uh, why we decided to do Austin Powers in the first place. And that's because I was I was talking to you about the uh, the absolute plot inconsistencies in uh, Star Wars Episode Two: Attack of the Clones, was it? <laughs> yeah. And and I said to you that um, the the explanation of why and how the bad guys tried to assassinate uh, Natalie Portman in uh, Star Wars Two: Attack of the Clones. Um, really harks back to the Scott and Dr. Evil relationship at the end of the movie, where Dr. Evil has got Austin Powers there in his grip. He uh, and He's decided to put him in, into an, an easily escapable situation. And we get just the the brilliant... The, this is the... Well, the, the later bit is the one... Uh, no, no, this whole scene is like uh, my daddy issues moment within the film, because this is the one that me and my dad will talk about the most will be the easily escapable situation. Like my dad will bring up that line all the time, like the idea of, of, of putting them into an easily escapable situation. Um, and, and Scott being like, I'll just go to my room. In my room, I've got a gun. I'll come back and we'll shoot him. We'll do it together. We'll shoot him. It'll be fun. Scott, you just don't get it, do you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the whole thing about like inheriting the family business. Doctor Evil yeah. wants Scott to be an an ostentatious supervillain. He doesn't want him mm-hmm. to be like like how how dismissive Doctor Evil is of Number Two and all of the work he's done over thirty years to turn VirtuCon into a, a hugely profitable, legitimate corporation that makes what did he say over nine billion dollars a year? But Doctor Evil doesn't give a shit. He's just like yeah, but here's all the elaborate plots that I want to do. And they're like, you can't do that. <laughs> uh, the, the prince at the, Oh yeah. You know, the, he does that whole, um, we'll make, uh, it seemed like Prince Charles has had an affair and has to have a divorce. And he's like, that already happened. This film came out like right after Diana died. So yeah, they had to cut that right. bit. That pit didn't appear at all. Okay. Like it didn't appear on VHS. It didn't appear in, until like way in way, way later. Um, which is probably smart. And they think that's part of the reason why this film didn't do so well at the box office is because like the country was mourning the prince, the people's princess, and meanwhile <laughs> a film comes out about a British caper and silly yeah. jokes and whatever. People weren't ready for it. Mm-hmm. But then the Full Monty came out the same year and did really well, which because mm-hmm. maybe that had a bit more pathos and a bit more you know, of the people. But anyway, um, so yeah, as I was saying, so Doctor Evil has no interest in anything beyond the the supervillainous. Mm. He he's that he owns a company that breaks in billions of dollars a year, but he still wants to drill a hole into the Earth's core and set off a nuke that sets off every volcano on the planet, unless he gets a hundred million, a hundred billion, 
$100 billion? <laughs> and then he, but then he says he's, he doesn't care about that. He's going to do it anyway because <laughs> yeah. what he wants to do is... <laughs> destroy the world be super yeah. villainous that's it and he's not he's not really bright enough to think beyond that it's just a silly no, see, i think i think it's the opposite i think what this movie harks back to perfectly is the loss of beauty and artistry for the sake of artistry between the 60s and and the 90s and we get that with with dr evil where what Dr. Evil wants to do is be evil for the art of it, right? He's got no interest in earning the $100 billion. He just wants to make the governments of the world squirm because they have to get $100 million to pay him off. But he's going to fucking do it anyway, right? Because the, the art isn't having the money. The art is holding the world to ransom. And then even when they give you the ransom, you fucking kill the world anyway because you're evil, right? And we get that same thing with Austin Powers, where it's kind of blown off somewhat. But it's that bit earlier on where it's like, well, a lot of things in the world have changed, Austin. And Austin's like, as long as I can have uh, lots of, uh, you know, exciting ex uh, sexual explorations with multiple partners with no protection uh, in a consequence-free environment whilst experimenting with mind-altering dr uh, drugs, then I'll be just fine. You know, and it's... And then he can't, and like, well, you can't, you know, only sailors should be using condoms. You know, it's that, that kind of thing. But Austin Powers doesn't do things like drugs to lose reality, um, though, or have sex to lose reality. He does it for the, the, for the, the fun of it, for the brightness it brings into the world. And it's the same reason that Dr. Evil does evil things, right? Well, the opposite reason, I guess. But they are both they both do it for the sake of doing it, right? Austin Powers has sex with multiple partners, not because he's a Lothario who wants to brag about it, but because that's his bag, baby. And Dr. Evil wants to destroy the world because that's his bag, baby. Right? Like the, the money and the status and everything that comes with it is not as important as being true to yourself. And Austin Powers wants to fuck. He wants to do, like take those mind-altering drugs. He wants to experiment. He wants to love his life because that's true to himself. And what Dr. Evil wants to do is be true to himself and cover the cities of the world in molten hot lava or, or whatever. Liquid hot magma. Yes, exactly. Thank you. And that's what the other characters in the movie don't have. Right? Like, Vanessa is kind of like... Uh, she's what does she want right she's stuck she's stuck within the version of herself the corporate version and it's not until later on in the movie where she gets drunk with with austin and wants to sleep with him and he says i can't you know you're you're drunk he doesn't he refuses to have sex with her because although he wants to have sex with her she wouldn't be doing it for the fun of it Right, she wouldn't be doing it because it's true to herself. She'd only be having sex with him because the alcohol has, you know, has has freed, has you know, has lubricated her, for lack of a, a better word. Um, but all of the other characters in the movie require that kind of lubrication that only the injection of Austin Powers and Doctor Evil can can bring into their lives. You know, and 
Vanessa is stuck in her own ways of being the very, uh, oh, I went to Oxford and I studied the languages, and then blah, 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 blah. And Scott is trapped in his, I'm an angsty teenager and I can't be true to myself because what even is the world, man? And then his dad is like, oh, the, we're going we're gonna to blow the world. We're going to blow it up. You know, uh, just be evil. Be evil is great. And then on the other side, you've got Austin Powers being like, get out of your shell, get out of your corporate... You know, you, you get out of your bloody Oxford great thing. big nutshell. How did I get yeah. into this bloody great big nutshell? What kind of nut has a shell like this? <laughs> I tell you, what, that was uh, th- this will be my my final reference back to uh, to uh, to Alexi and Cam and Mike Check. But after listening to all of those and um, rewatching them all, this was what twenty seventeen, I guess, twenty eighteen. Um, I I was listening to them all in China when I was on my. It was this time because it was Chinese New Year. Uh, and I was in China and Chinese New Year is a time in China where everybody leaves. Right. So you, you live in a city and then everyone in the city leaves the city to go back to the areas where their family are from. And because so many people have come from the countryside, you'll find like the city streets just become empty. There's just nobody there because everyone's gone back to different family homes and stuff. Um, so it, it gets very lonely if you're you're there uh, with without friends or anything, because um, everyone's gone. Um, so I was I was there for like a month on my own um, in China, just listening, listening to all of these, the mic check podcasts and stuff. And then when I went back to the UK later on, my brother said uh, in just a random conversation, my brother went, well, that's you in a nutshell. <laughs> and it was like, <laughs> it, it was like there was not a moment of conversation that I was more prepared for. Thanks to Alexi and Cam and, uh, and Mike Check, <laughs> then uh, well, that's just you in a nutshell. And uh, nobody appreciated my acting out of no, this is me in a nutshell. Help, I'm in a nutshell. How did I get into this? Nobody else appreciated it, but I thought that it was wonderful. So I've always got Alexi and Cam to thank for that, for that wonderful moment there. Perfection. Yeah, I mean, I wish I was there. I would have definitely appreciated it. Thank you. Off thank the cuff. You. Yeah. That's a good talk about Austin Powers. I feel we've, we've, we've covered a lot. Do you have any final thoughts on Austin Powers? I do. I have, I have one thing that I thought about. Do you think that Austin Powers is analogous to Captain America? Think because they it. were both... Because the, both of them bring their own values from their own time into the present day because they were frozen? It's it's pretty weak, I know. that They are both frozen in their own time. One voluntarily, one not so. And then they are thawed out in the quote-unquote modern day and have to adapt to modern society and struggle to a degree and have to change. Cap, Cap has to write a list of, of modern things that he has to learn about in order to be caught up on history. And Austin Powers actually watches a video of everything that he's missed. And who would have thought Liberace was gay? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, women loved him. And, uh, um, yeah, I mean, that's basically it. Oh, oh, and they also have to, even though they've been frozen all this time, they just have to fight the nemesis that they were fighting when they were th- frozen. Mm. Do you know what? Dr. Dave? Evil and the Red Skull are basically the same person. Do you know what <laughs> it sounds like to me? You are absolutely ready for your bachelor's in film studies. 
<laughs> Am I really? Is that what it, it sounds takes? like? It sounds like to me you need to write this essay, and then you need to write the essay representation of women within the Austin Powers trilogy, because between these two's a comparison of Austin Powers and Captain America: Frozen in Time, and the representation of women inside any given film franchise, you're ready for your bachelor's in film studies. Can, do you think I could just write the essay? And I'll give yeah. it to you to make sure it's good first. And then I'll just send it off to a university and be like, I'll have a bachelor's, please. I reckon um, you, you you could quite easily just prepare your essays beforehand and then go in and then just when they, when they go, okay, what's the deadline? Here it is. And then they'll be like, oh, do you have the next three years written? Yeah, I do. Yeah, I'm an adult now. Like, I, I came <laughs> prepared. I'm not 18. Yeah. I'm not an idiot. Yeah. Well, yeah. Ian, I'm not 18, but I am an idiot. I think you would have been wonderful at film studies. Although we did screenwriting, so it's not all that different. We basically did. We basically did a film studies degree. We just didn't learn how to Anything make a really. film. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nothing at all. But then I did. I briefly did a uh, what? What was it called back then? An AS level in film studies mm. at college. Um, but I quit it after the first year because we had to. We watched Thelma and Louise like seven. No, that's an exaggeration. We watched Thelma and Louise like four times, and I just I was like, this is not, it, this is not what I wanted. This is not what I wanted at all. You wanted to watch Thelma and Louise twenty times. <laughs> yeah. Well, we need to watch it more. All I remember from that year is watching Thelma and Louise a bunch of times. What Maison Sen is, yes. and um, that one of the kids in the class was called darwin and i thought that was really interesting was it it. because that's also your favorite x-men so you kept like throwing him into a volcano to see if he'd adapt and stuff to see if he became magma liquid hot magma (laughs) (laughs) okay final final thing for austin powers quickly uh how does uh the relationship between scott and dr evil reflect on your own relationship with your with your father I hadn't given this much thought until you were asking me this question and I've just had an epiphany. The relationship between Scott and Dr. Evil would make, would be a lot more relatable to me if you flipped them around so that the father figure was the one um, who um, was very logical and, and saw a path to, mending and to uh, and to um succeeding in all their goals and then the son figure being me was the one who all they want to do is like you said be evil for the art of being evil like it that's that's it it's being true to yourself and and knowing what you are and just doing that so if so i'm dr evil <laughs> and my uh, my dad is scott except my dad is not grungy and um no except for the attitudes are also are the attitudes are switched yeah like neither of us have ever gone i hate you and ran, <laughs> ran out of a room um not that i remember i think i've been i've been uh, frustrated with with them on occasion but no i i think i i would I'd love to talk to my parents about my teens because i don't remember being like one of those typical angsty shouty you don't understand you don't know my life kind of yes. teenagers but i have no recollection of that but my parents might turn around and be like oh yeah you are a, such an emotional little turd <laughs> whereas my memory is, is being very like meh whatever it's fine mm. i guess there's another archetype of t te- of teenagerdom but um yeah 
no, that's that that's I like that that occurred to me in in the moment because I think that's that's quite poignant. Do you mm. have anything? Uh, no, that's nice. Anything with yours? I would say that the relationship between Scott and Doctor Evil isn't so much there, but just the movie itself, as I mentioned earlier on, and the um, most most uh, relevantly is the evolution of the. Um, um, uh, put them in an easily escapable situation scene is the uh, the zip it ship ship it ship yeah yeah which yeah. I think was added that, that on the whole, day as well I mean that's genius yeah yeah that whole sequence is like uh, me and my dad comedy all over like that kind of thing like there's the kind of joke that will, will come up will come up all the time so although the uh, the the relationship between the characters isn't so much of a daddy issues thing, the movie itself and the comedy, the performances and and everything very much is. I have a que- I have a follow up question. Mm-hmm. You will remember our playlist episode where we each picked songs that made us think of our our dads or were reflective of our, of our relationships with our dads. Yes. Hypothetical, um, like movie marathon or say like a triple feature what are the would austin powers be in the one of the films that would be your your daddy issues triple feature it would be a tight it would be tight between between this and bill and ted probably really yeah especially especially bill and ted 2 i think it would be it would be a tough it would be a tough call well that settles uh, the next episode we're doing the movie marathon yeah that's Came a great a, a great pitch yeah well we don't we won't, it won't take us fucking six hours we'll just dive in talk about them a little bit talk about why similar to our music one we'll put like the trailers and stuff in there and yeah great idea for another episode perfect um quickly while i have you here i want to talk Me about or like movie. the audience <laughs> Both. If you're well, here for you, Austin, if you if you're here for Austin Powers, thank you very much for listening this far. Like, subscribe, whatever the fuck people tell other people to do. Because now I want to talk about a place beyond the pines. Oh yeah. Which is a massive veering, of course. This is the movie that I had never wanted to watch. Um, I I knew about it. I'd I'd seen trailers. I'd heard about it, and I had absolutely no interest in it whatsoever. Until yesterday, my mum said, let's watch a movie. I said, what movie do you want to watch? She said, oh, well, this one looks pretty good. And I said, I don't know if we should watch that one because I've heard it's like a 7 out of 10. Could could have been good, but it doesn't quite hit it there. Doesn't quite hit the mark. You know, we could find, you know, Citizen Kane is literally next to it. Citizen Kane, the Citizen Kane of movies is literally next next to it. Like... (laughs) We could watch that instead. And she's like, no, I, I want to watch it. Anyway, my mum is uh, a wonderful person, so we, we, we chose to watch what, what she wanted to watch. Uh, I had chosen to watch the, the recent Invisible Man the night before, so uh, she, was, uh, she was well-deserved. That's a great movie. Lee Winnell's Invisible Man. Is that the one with uh, the Elizabeth... Um, what's Elizabeth her name? Moss. Moss, Elizabeth yeah, Moss. yeah. Yes, yeah. Awesome movie. Not the not the Kevin Bacon one from the Turn of no, the Century. No, that's Hollow Man. Come Hollow on, Man. get your get your Invisible Damn. Men together, Dave. For God's <laughs> sake. 
Um, but <laughs> Invisible Man, great movie, uh, directed by Lee Whannell, just just brilliant. One of my favorite movies for uh, for a while. Um, and uh, yes, yeah, so then Mum wanted to watch Place Beyond the Pines, which I had deliberately avoided for a long time because I didn't want to be sad. And I often, <laughs> I often will avoid movies that I know are gonna make me upset. Um, so my ex-girlfriend like loved to watch documentaries. Like it was one of her favorite things to do. I hate watching documentaries because although I know that they will be brilliant, I don't doubt the artistry and I don't doubt that I will learn a lot. Nobody makes a documentary about how happy they were. Right. Um, all documentaries are about how uh, how absolutely emotionally crippling the world can be. Yeah, they're going um, to shine a light on the murkier parts of it. Yes, and I try and avoid that because it'll make me sad. And I don't need something else to make me more sad than I already am. So A Place Beyond the Pines was, was another example of that. So we watched it last night, and I was correct. I think I sent you a message halfway through going, bloody hell, I'm sad. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it was full of daddy issues moments. And I don't want to watch the movie again, so I don't want to do a full podcast on it. But I just wanted to bring it up because I know you saw it in the cinema. So in terms of daddy issues stuff, I know the movie came out in fucking 2012. You haven't watched it in a decade. But is there anything that you remember of that movie? Yeah, you're right. That was nearly 10 years ago. Jesus. Yeah. Um, I remember that Ryan Gosling was hot in it and this was like the ryan gosling hot era and i think this is um this is off the back of blue valentine which i think was was also ryan gosling and with the same director yes and i think drive was out around the same time and there was all these kind of sad ryan gosling movies Mm -hmm. and i think uh we were probably still at uni or just finished no we were still at uni when this came out um so I, i think i was I had the um, what do you call it the Cineworld Unlimited card, which I rinsed. Oh, so that was, yeah, that was fucking just... beautiful. That thing. And it's it's not a surprise that that the company's basically gone out of business or shut down ninety percent of their cinemas because they yeah. were they gave away too much yeah. for free. Um, yeah. So yeah, I went to see it on the back of all these like arty films that Ryan Gosling was doing. Um, but I rem- yeah, so I remember. It's the one. Is this the one where half he's is he in it from the beginning? Okay, so right. there's him I'll, and Bradley Cooper. Let me see what All I remember. Right. So there's, there's, it's Ryan Gosling and Bradley Cooper are both the male leads of this movie, but mm-hmm. one of them comes in at the same time as one of them dies, and yes. then the second one carries the rest of the movie. So it was basically, it was always pitched as a Ryan Gosling movie, and Bradley Cooper wasn't quite as huge as he would go on to be. So I think... Ryan Gosling was in the first half of the movie. Then he fucking falls out of a window or something, and then Bradley Cooper becomes it is does the rest of the movie on his own with Eva Mendes. You're close. You're close. Okay. Okay. The movie's not split into halves. It's split into thirds. Oh. Yes, and just in case you didn't think that this movie was fucking long and ponderous enough, um, <laughs> the the first the first third is Ryan Gosling. Ryan Gosling is a a um, carnival show uh, motorbike rider. Uh, he does that wheel of wheel of death thing, whatever it's called. I think it's called like Handsome Luke, the the motorbike rider. Anyway, he's very good at riding motorbikes. Much and very like handsome. he was also yes, yes, much like he was also very handsome and good at driving cars in that movie Drive. Um, so so what he decides to do, much like in the movie Drive is to use his incredible vehicle control skills to begin committing crimes. Um, mm-hmm. And 
he starts robbing banks on the back of his moped. And he's very good at, at uh, robbing banks until he gets, like, addicted to the thrill. And to begin with, to begin with, he's only doing it because uh, Eva Mendes has had a had a baby with him, but she didn't say anything. And he went away with the carnival, but now the carnival's back in town, and she appears, and it's like, oh my god, I had a baby. He's like, I'm gonna stay here, Eva Mendez. And she's like, you don't have any money. I'm dating Mahashla Ali in one of his... Really? What must have been... Yeah. This, the, oh, the cast, the cast for this film is far superior to the film itself. And I'm looking I at blame, it now, actually. Oh, shit. I blame the director for this, because the cast are they all deliver fucking great performances all of them but the movie itself is just so winding and i know it's called a place beyond the pines and the idea is you know it's it's the 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 path that winds through an endless path that goes through but your cast you've got ryan gosling then ryan gosling gets shot and killed by a police officer played by bradley cooper who carries the next bit of the film through, but has to deal with the emotional fact that he just killed Ryan Gosling, who has a son the same age as his son. Right? They, they both have these baby children, and Bradley Cooper is racked with guilt over having just taken this child's father away from him, right? which is where the daddy issues elements come in. Right? Ryan Gosling is a father who begins committing crimes to, to get money for his son, who will later be raised by Mahashala Ali, who is uh, also a great father figure in this movie. Um, but Bradley Cooper then has his own son who he's trying to raise with Rose Byrne, who gives the best performance I have seen Rose Byrne give in anything. Because normally when I see her give her performances in like X-Men Apocalypse. And it's like, um, we're going to go to Egypt and we're going to stop the apocalypse. And it's like, oh, like well, why do they keep hiring her? And then I saw A Place Beyond the Pines. I'm like, that's why they keep hiring her. Because she's fucking great. She's she's in like three scenes and she gives the most convincing performance. Uh, I've, uh, uh, a great scene with her and Ray Liotta. Because also, Ray Liotta's in this fucking movie. <laughs> uh, who, again, delivers a great Ray Liotta performance. As does Ben Mendelsohn, because Ben Mendelsohn's in this movie. And uh, anyway... So Bradley Cooper's uh, filled with guilt that he killed uh, he killed Ryan Gosling, um, and Ray Liotta steal uh, blah 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 blah. Then we jump to fifteen years later, but no one has aged. Uh, <laughs> it's fifteen years later, but Bradley Cooper looks like Bradley Cooper. Eva Mendes looks like Eva Mendes. The only people that have aged are these two babies that were both one years old, and it's now fifteen years later. So one of them is now. Dane DeHaan? Is that the actor? Oh, Harry Osborne, yeah. Yes, this was my point. This is one of the reasons I wanted to bring this up. It is fucking insulting to me that the child of Ryan Gosling and Eva Mendes would be an actor so ugly they cast him as a literal goblin. (laughs) Oh, Jesus. He's... Oh, yeah, I'm looking at them all now, and I don't understand how that happened. <laughs> granted, granted, he's he's like a supermodel, right? In the, you know, supermodels, you look at them and you're like, you're not conventionally attractive. <laughs> it's like really and cut Dane, and thin. And yes, like, he's got a, know, he's got a dark. unique face, Dane DeHaan. Yeah. So to say he's, he's not ugly, he's unique, right? And, and that in, in and of itself is beautiful. 
I think I've just remembered some more of this film, and I think I recall that the danger harm bits of the movie were either my favourites or the I thought actually like he was like they were the most emotional parts of the film. Does that I ring think true? that's true. Yes. Yes, because the point of Dane DeHaan's character is that he is Ryan Gosling and Eva Mendez's child. But Ryan oh, Gosling was boy. killed when he was one years old. So he has always been raised by Mahashtar Ali and, and, and Eva Mendez. Right? And there is this clear fact, of course, that Eva Mendez is, uh, is Latino. Mahashtar Ali is African-American. Dane DeHaan is Dane DeHaan. Right? And why every do, why time, do you like boy? Yeah, every time throughout his childhood, he's tried to raise... You know, who was my father? Even Mendes, I don't want to talk about it, right? Because for her, it was someone that she really cared about. And then he got shot out a window. And then the person who shot him out of a window came to her house and stole all of the bank robbery money that Ryan Gosling had got for, had saved for the child, right? Uh, Brian, uh, Bradley Cooper came in with uh, Ray Liotta and the corrupt cops and, and took all of the, the bank robbery money and, and took them for themselves because they were crooked, crooked cops. And then the Bradley Cooper story is all about trying to fight corruption, but you know, whatever. But the Dane DeHaan storyline is uh, Bradley Cooper's son and Dane DeHaan end up going to the same school. Because of course they do. Because this is the fucking most contrived plot in the history of the world, whereby the man, you know, the, the, the son of the man he murdered is in the same school as his own son, and then they become friends, and then they end up committing crimes together, and then one of them ends up bullying the other one, and then he goes to a house party and realises that the man in whose house he's partying in is the same one who murdered his father, and it's like, ah, uh, fuck you, movie, but the actual performance by Dane DeHaan is really good. And he does a really good job of conveying that emotional turmoil that comes with a man trying to discover himself in a father that he lost um, whilst coming to terms with that transition to adulthood that we've spoken about previously, like in Neon Genesis Evangelion and things like that. It's a continuation of those kinds of themes in a really solid performance. And this movie is full of fucking great performances that are far better than the movie deserves. Because, um, also, we've got that other amazing actor, whose name I can't remember. He plays, he's the voice actor of Batman. He plays Captain Pike in the Star Trek, uh... Bruce Greenwood. Uh, Bruce Greenwood, yes. Bruce Greenwood's in this movie, and you know what? Do you know what he does, Dave? What does he he do? provides yet another solid Bruce Greenwood performance. Oh, you could take good Bruce Greenwood. He is. You could take him from almost any of his movies, line them up, and he's giving the same performance as the same character in each movie. And normally, <laughs> you'd hold that against somebody like De Niro or a pairing of De Niro and Pesci, right? Where you're like, all you have done is taken the same characters that they played in Goodfellas and put them in Casino. And then all you have done is taken the same characters they played in Casino and, and put them in, right? But with Bruce Greenwood, you've got your role. He's normally a lawyer or uh, an authoritative, tutorative, a tutorative figure. And then you put him in there to be angry about some kind of lawyer-related things. And he's going to give you a solid Bruce Greenwood performance. And he does it again. Yeah. He's going he to get mad at a younger or subordinate person yes. for, yeah. for not for not performing as well as they should or for letting him down. Yeah. But then he's going to forgive them and give them another chance. And yeah. then if it's Star Trek, he's going to die and be a, a, a spur on the hero to be the man that he's supposed to be and make yes. me cry in the process. 
Yes. So uh, this this is Star Trek. This is uh, the People versus O.J. Simpson, in which he plays the district attorney of uh, of Los Angeles, and then it's this movie where he plays the district attorney of uh, New York, I think. And then you could you could just go on and on with with Bruce Greenwood performances. Even in his performance of Batman, it's essentially the same thing. Only he's Batman. When did he voice Batman? He was in a lot of the uh, a lot of the more recent animated movies, like um, Son of Batman. I think is a good example. Oh, right. Where the mood, the focus is on Damian Wayne and Robin, but Batman is there as a authoritative tutor figure. Oh. He's a he's real also, Bruce Greenwood type. He's, yeah, he's also the CEO guy in iRobot. Like, a classic Bruce Greenwood role. He's a, the CEO. Of course. You know what? So what you do for your movie is you write a Bruce Greenwood role and you put in their notes to casting director. It should probably be Bruce Greenwood. And then he's yeah. going to come in and he's going to fucking... He's going to knock that ball out of the park. A lot of love for Bruce Greenwood. He's great. Never, he's never given a dud performance. And that might be because it's the same performance. But when you've got your niche, you know... He's figured out how to do it guy. and he's, he's mastered and it. He's and he, at he it. gets he's great at paid it. for it. Yeah, like he's, yeah. he's also in First Blood. Man, I need to rewatch that. I don't remember that. I bet he's not giving a Bruce Greenwood performance in that. He's probably giving a impaled on a Greenwood spike performance in that one. Oh, I hope so. Good job! <laughs> Good job. Yeah, jokes. Jokes. Anyway, that was pretty much... I just wanted to bring up Place Beyond the Pines to be like, it is another Daddy Issues movie. There are... There's a, a lot of... A lot, a lot of, of fireworks going off outside my house. I don't know if you can oh hear that. Oh, my God. Um, yeah, but so... It, it could, could Dane DeHaan and Scott Evil be, you know, the same character? If it turned out that Ryan Gosling had been frozen in uh frozen in cryogenic gas rather than shot out of a window (laughs) (laughs) then yes and then yes that is the narrative then scott evil makes becomes best friends with one of one of austin powers undoubtedly many illegitimate children um, (laughs) yeah after austin powers has killed dr evil and then whilst at a dinner party at austin powers's son's house Scott Evil sees family photos or or just like he's got like some he's been trying to track down who his real dad is and he's got all these like file pictures in like a one of those manila envelope things and it's a picture of Austin Powers and he's like oh what's this about and he's like oh I've been trying to track down my real dad and that might be the real guy but I can't really find him and then Scott Evil's like oh, I know who this is he killed my dad your dad is the guy who killed my dad and now we can't be friends and yeah then, that's pretty much it yeah yeah, yeah. I mean, this yeah. is I'm, I'm writing Austin Powers four right now. Yes, yeah. But then, what what would have really happened would have been okay. A place beyond the pines is like you put the first Austin Powers movie with the third Austin Powers movie, where you have the development of of Doctor Evil and Scott Evil, and then towards two thirds of the way through, Scott Evil realizes that Doctor Evil and Austin Powers are actually brothers, and then the story, the third act, kind of continues from there. And um, that's kind of that, that unnecessary, um, completely unnecessary plot. <laughs> um, but yes, A Place Beyond the Pines. I don't know if it is based on a novel, but it feels like it was based on a novel and they couldn't just cut it short. Yeah, and no, I think I remember getting that kind of vibe where it was all so very elongated. And, and if you were reading it as a novel, it would 
it, I don't know. Would it be a page turner or at least be tense? No, I'm not really yeah, sure. It, feels, it does feel like a Jack Kerouac kind of... Not Hemingway. Well, Hemingway-esque, I guess. But like those modern, kinds yeah, of modern stream, stream of consciousness style novels that come out of the American style where... Uh, almost a Bukowski, but uh, more more gritty and realistic than that, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, Apparently it's, um, it's not based on anything. It was written by the director and a couple of other writers. Right. Yeah, if yeah, it feels like a a movie version of one of those American stream of consciousness books, where the plot is not as important as the events. It's a movie driven by events, not driven by plot, and that works nicely for the first two thirds of the movie. And then in the third movie, it's like, and this is where the plot weaves together, and like, but there wasn't a plot, and so now you're trying to con- throw this plot together. And it feels it's contrived rather than built upon. It's like the Swedish made penis enlarger gag. Um, if there had just been like, do you remember the Swedish made penis enlarger? Because now it's back. Yeah, you're like, um, that thing from like the first 10 minutes that we haven't seen since. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah I mean, I guess I remember yeah. that. Is that funny? Yeah. I don't know. But then, yeah. yeah, like you said earlier, they make it funny by putting it in the right by, places. Yes, by in having a, a speaking. plot. Yes, yeah. Yeah. And you can't, your movie can't decide that it has a plot, you know, 10 minutes from the end. So that's <laughs> like my... Your, that's um, your notes to a Derek Chan yes. France, where we say his name. Yes. Great performances. Some good daddy issues moments. Glad we're not doing a fucking two hour episode on it. But just wanted to bring it up as, a, as a, an extra tidbit at the end. Yeah. Yeah, sure. No worries. Thanks yeah. for the trip down memory lane. Yeah, to one okay. that was kind of just forgettable, but somehow forgettable. Yes, I'll always yeah. remember Ryan Gosling's for some reason blonde hair. Yeah, well now I'm always going to remember Ryan Gosling, Eva Mendes's inexplicably unattractive child. <laughs> How does that even happen? Who genetic who the... anomalies? They have. Do you know? What I looked. The the first thing that happened is in this movie is it's it's Ryan Gosling walking from his his trailer. Um, to do the carnival performance on, on the motorbikes. And all the, the names were coming up. And I was like, oh my God, this cast is just unbelievable. Whoever this casting director is should have won an Oscar, I thought to myself, for having got this cast. And then when I realised that Dane DeHaan was playing the child of Ryan Gosling and Eva Mendes, my view on that casting director changed radically. <laughs> yeah. But then I guess he was again. When when did Chronicle come out? Because that was the that little indie superhero yeah, thing that made him famous. Must, and then they were like, "Quick, get that get that kid this. from that really that yeah. that little indie thing that blew up last year. Just get him in it, and you know, it doesn't matter who, yeah. who what it doesn't looks matter like. that he looks like a literal goblin. <laughs> and yeah, oh. stick Ooh. him on a glider and impale Gwen Stacy. That'll do. That's wait. Uh... Is that is that an amalgamation of? The, the Spider-Man and then the Amazing Spider-Man, because the yes, Glider kind of. impaled Norman Osborn in, in the original Spider-Man glider. trilogy, and then Gwen Stacy yeah. dies in Amazing Spider-Man Two. Mm. After the Green Goblin, played by famously the love child of Ryan Gosling and Eva <laughs> Mendes, yeah. uh, throws her down a a chimney or something. God, that movie sucks. I don't, I don't dislike it that much. But then I just watched the first Amazing Spider-Man recently, so the next Why? one is on the to block. Why? What? Why of all the movies that you could watch, would you be re- revisiting Andrew Garfield's The Amazing Spider-Man? Because I loved Andrew Garfield in Amazing Spider-Man. 
and I was sad when they shit canned the and rebooted the the series. And like we, we touched on it a... in a previous episode, the, the him when him and uh, Emma Stone's chemistry is great. Do you think there's enough in there with Martin Sheen to do an ep- a Daddy Issues episode on? I think we need to do a Daddy Issues episode on Spider-Man One, Amazing mm. Spider-Man One, and I guess they don't, haven't really touched on it with Tom Holland, have they? But yeah, it's totally Spider. Yeah, yeah, I suppose. But um, yeah, I, th- I think instead of focusing on one Spider-Man film, we could co- we could focus on the whole Spider-Man pantheon involved and yeah. their relationship with Uncle Ben and involving Tony Stark too. Well, we've done a Thomas Wayne episode and we've done a uh, uh, a Jonathan, Jonathan Kent episode, so let's do a, an Uncle Ben Uncle Ben episode. Okay, see how many people we get who click on it thinking it's going to be about microwavable <laughs> rice. It's <laughs> about racist rice. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be the quote. Uncle Ben, in brackets, Spider-Man, not racist rice. Yeah. Every every view counts. <laughs> I was here for the racism, and all they did was talk about Spider-Man. <laughs> well, thank you very much, everyone, for listening to another uh, episode of Daddy Issues. Um, next week, oh man, we've, got, we've come up with so many extra episodes in this this is great normally the end of each episode is what the fuck are we going to talk about next week you know <laughs> it could be anything now we're, we're on fire it could be anything and also don't forget to stay tuned for the ongoing Neon Genesis Evangelion series that we'll put fuck. out fuck yeah as time goes yeah. by yeah last week was episodes one to five of Neon Genesis Evangelion then on Wednesday uh, last Wednesday so before this episode was recorded Dave was like, I have to watch more. I need to get my Evangelion fix. So Evangelion. I need to get his Evangelion. That's good. <laughs> That's very good. That's Remember amazing. that for the for our next uh, the next time we record. Um so that one that one will be coming out shortly. Um and yeah. Thank you for listening again. Thanks everyone. Stay stay groovy. Baby. baby. <laughs> That was creepy. We started doing it at the same time, and I love it. Love it. We've got Andrew Garfield and the Stone chemistry. (laughs) Well, they wish. (laughs) Maybe they still be together if they were as close as we are. Just saying. Okay, bye. Okay, here we go. Okay, we have some newcomers here today with us. Say hello to Scott and his father, Mr. Evil? Evil, actually. <laughs> Doctor Evil. Can you hear it all right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hello, Hi, Dr. Evil. Evil. Hello, hello Scott. Scott. Hello, everybody. So, Scott, why don't we start with you? What brings you here with us today? Well, I just really met my dad for the first time five days ago. I was partially frozen his whole life. It's so That's good. Beautiful. He comes back and, and now he wants me to take over the family business. But Scott, who's gonna take over the world when I die? Listen to the words he used. Who's going to take over the world when I die? Feels like that to some of us sometimes, doesn't it? <laughs> yes. So 
want to do, Scott? I don't know. I was thinking I like animals. Maybe I'd be a vet. An evil vet? No. no. Maybe like work in a petting zoo. An, An evil, evil petting, petting zoo? <laughs> you always do that! I just think like he hates me. I really think he wants to kill me. Now, Scott, we don't want to kill each other in here. We might say that we do sometimes, no, the boy but is we quite really astute. don't. <laughs> Actually, the boy is quite astute. I really am trying to kill him. him but so, so far, far unsuccessfully. He's quite wily like, like his old man. man. And that look, with a bit of... That gives him a proud thing in that. Yeah. Bring that up. Bring that okay. up. Yeah. Well, we've heard from you, Scott. Now, uh, you tell us a little about yourself. The details of my life are quite, quite inconsequential. inconsequential. <laughs> oh, no, please, please. Let's hear about your childhood. Very well. Where do I begin? My father was a relentlessly self-improving boulangerie owner from Belgium with low-grade narcolepsy and a pension for bulgari. My mother was a 15-year-old French prostitute named Chloe with webbed feet. My father would womanize, he would drink, he would make outrageous claims like he invented the question mark. Sometimes he would accuse chestnuts of being lazy. The sort of general malaise genius possessed and the insane lament. My childhood was typical. Summers in Rangoon. In the spring we'd make meat helmets. When I was insolent I was placed in a burlap bag and beaten with the reeds. Quite typical. Oh yeah. Beaten with reeds. Just quickly I want to say that the choice of line where he says beaten with reeds he could have said sticks, yeah. but reeds makes it funnier. Yes. I don't know why. Yes. We have to stop. <laughs> <laughs> 